Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning. For Every Day is Earth Day today, we are talking with Gary Wyatt, an extension agroforestry educator and professor with the University of Minnesota's Extension in the Extension Regional Office in Mankato. We are going to be chatting about trees and shrubs for a changing climate. Good morning, Gary. Good morning. Gary, you have been involved in this field for over 39 years, I think I saw. Yes, that's right. What exactly do you do in your position as the Ag Extension in agroforestry? Well, my specialization is agroforestry, and obviously people probably don't know the five practices of agroforestry, but beginning with windbreaks is probably the most common practice in the state of Minnesota, and then uh, alley cropping, uh, silvopasture, which is livestock in in woodlands, but managing all three resources, livestock, understory, and then also the trees and so forth, and then uh, repairing forest buffers, and then forest farming. So those are the five practices. I believe those are five. And, yeah, and then I also teach uh, invasive species, terrestrial, uh, EAB, emerald ash borer, and uh, also controlling woodies in your landscape as well. But, yes, I, I've enjoyed working with uh, Extension, the University of Minnesota Extension, over the 39 years and, and still still love my job and uh, still willing to uh, like to help people and help master gardeners uh, teach other people about uh, gardening and trees and and so forth. Well, now, having been involved for nearly 40 years, you've seen some changes through the years, and I assume some of that involves climate change. Can you expound on that a little bit, maybe what you've seen through the years and how things are changing? I know coming up next week, you are going to be doing a presentation called Trees and Shrubs for a Changing Climate. So I assume that means, obviously, there's been some changes. That's right. There has been some changes, and actually, we're seeing going to see more changes than the generations to come, certainly, and for our children's and, and our children's children's and so forth. But, yeah, uh, regarding that, r- the more recent uh, announcement of our program coming up uh, next week, uh, you can look on our University of Minnesota Ex- Extension website, extension.umn.edu, and look under Courses and Events, and then pick the date of Thursday, January 26th, and you'll find the location of that website uh, registration for that lesson. We're going to have a Zoom presentation. It's going to be uh, at noon, from uh, noon to 1 o'clock. And actually, the title is Trees and Shrubs for a Changing Climate. My coworker is going to be uh, Jamie Mosel, and she's recently hired uh, as our Extension Climate Resilient Educator, and she's based out of Andover office in the Twin Cities. And she's going to talk about the modeling of, of what we're seeing in the climate models that we look at and we're adjusting for trees and so forth. And then I'll be talking about some specific tree varieties that uh, we can look at uh, in the future. And maybe if you're planning to plant some plants and new trees in your landscape or windbreaks, then these might be some trees you want to look at. The one thing I wanted to say was interesting that you just hired somebody and with the title with the words climate adaptation in it. And I'm sure way back 40 years ago, that wasn't even something that was part of the vocabulary. That's right. That's right. You you know, you're right. In In the 1980s, when I was hired... Uh, we didn't think about, about uh, climate change and our warming climate and global warming was not even a, a phrase back then. So, you know, uh, we were going through a farm crisis back then in the mid-80s and the economics were not, were not really good for farming back then and, and so forth and, and just not on anybody's mind. But then 
Obviously, uh, as the years pass by, our, our changing climate is recorded by many uh, biologists around the world, and University of Minnesota and, and land-grant university staff has also monitored those changes, and it's changing our vegetation, native habitats, and so forth. And obviously, what I've seen over the past years is our increase in, in invasive species, especially like the buckthorn that we've seen in, in woodlands that we ha- haven't planted it, and, it, and it's actually passed and spread through birds and, and uh, eating the seeds of, of female trees. So the buckthorn, is that a result of climate change? I know that was introduced as a an ornamental species at one point. Is it the climate change that's made it so prevalent? Exactly. You know, I think you're right. And, and I think the what, it, what it, it was planted in the, in the 1850s, actually, and as a shrub from European trees, or it's a source of European heritage, and was planted as windbreak and so forth. And, and yeah, I just, it is passed from birds eating the seeds and, and, and spread that way, certainly as a pathway. But I think other climate change has, has advanced that, too, and the, the survival rate of some of these species of, of vegetative plants, both trees and, and understory plants that are not native to North America, we're seeing an increase in those particular populations. Are there any other plants in particular that you think have thrived with the, the changing climate? You know, it seems like garlic mustard is was one of those understory plants that have, have uh, thrived as well. Another one might be, uh, you know, our, even our, our honeysuckles from the European plantings that we've uh, we've planted for years in, in windbreaks and so forth, uh, and are, are spread also by birds, but it seems like their heritage and their adaptability to adapt to different environments and our woodland environments. Certainly we don't want them in the woods, but we've, uh, we've seen that change over time too. In your years, what sorts of trees and shrubs have you seen in terms of being different? Have you seen some that have been fading out or some being, you mentioned the invasives, but are others dying out perhaps? Right. One of our commonly planted spruce species is Black Hill spruce, and not maybe due to climate. Well, it actually probably is due to climate change because it was, it, this is a Canadian disease, and it's called needle cast disease. It's browning the needles that, that brown the needles of the, of the spruce trees from the base on up, and they start at the base and they work up and they can kill a tree within three years. But there's two needle cast diseases known in, in Minnesota. Rhizosphere needle cast was our old species, that, the old disease that we've known for years, and affects Colorado blue spruce. But I've recommended Black Hill spruce over the last 30 years, and now stigmina is a new needle cast disease, pretty much native to North America, but more native to Canada climates than, than here. But we're seeing a big infestation of our Black Hill spruce with this disease, stigmina, needle cast disease, in Minnesota, and it's really wiping out a lot of our windbreaks that are planted to that species of spruce, Black Hill spruce, and some of our other common commonly planted spruce like Colorado blue spruces, et cetera. So that's a big change. And I think some of the climate that we're seeing changing is almost advantageous to some of these new diseases and even insects that could be harboring our uh, and destroying our trees and so forth. So what can we do? Is there anything to prevent that, to treat that? Or is it a matter of like you're going to be talking about changing what you're planting? Right. So even talking about needle cast diseases, we're thinking of maybe Norway spruce and Meyer spruce. Those are two spruce species that really haven't been planted a lot of, but we're thinking that might have some tolerance of, of these new needle cast diseases that we're seeing, the, the stigmina needle cast disease. And then obviously be, cons- be aware of some of the other 
diversified plants that you can plant in your landscape, either be windbreaks or home, la- home landscapes in your front or backyard, and diversify your planting. Don't just plant one species of tree. Plant many different types of species of trees, like oaks, maples, Kentucky coffee tree, those types of, of species. Don't just plant one of uh, one species of tree. Of course, I think we've all seen that result of the lines and lines of ash trees that are on the boulevards, especially here in Mankato. You can see just so many. And then we get something like the emerald ash borer that comes in, and now they're going to be all cut down. And I do notice that cities are adhering to the new call for being diverse, and you'll see maybe a ginkgo, you'll see an oak, you'll see different things. And I think that's uh, something that, that is part of being adaptive. Yes, it's too bad it's taken us years to figure that out. But uh, yes, after the Dutch elm disease took off the elms, we planted green ash trees, and now we have emerald ash borer invading the insect, invading the ash trees. But don't overplant maples, because that's what we're seeing now, is a lot of people planting maples. And mm-hmm. and uh, I know there's neighborhoods in Mankato and around th- different cities that are planting too many, too many lindens, or basswood trees, American linden or little leaf linden. Be careful not to overplant one specific species of tree. I think that's a big, big take-home message for, for climate change. Are any of those trees being affected by the climate change? You mentioned I noticed there's been a lot of maples and things, and I also noticed a lot of maples dying from, I'm pretty sure it's from girdling or something, because it seems pretty common. Yes, we can, we see stem girdling roots on lindens and also some maples, but maples are really soft-type uh, bark tree. They get a lot of sun scald in the wintertime. They, they have frost cracks and, and so forth that, that may, might hinder one side or, or the other of branches of trees that, that they won't leaf out very good the next season. And there's just a lot of different uh, issues with some, some of our trees. Actually, there's a native linen borer that affects linen trees. So that's why we, we want to say diversify your, your plantings and don't just plant one species of tree. So which ones do you think are going to be dying out? Obviously, the borers killing the ash trees. Right. But are there other ones because of the climate that are going to be having a struggle and we should maybe just avoid completely? We're seeing a lot of issues with our conifer trees, uh, Austrian pine or Scotch pine, and even ponderosa pine, those types of, of pine trees, and, and even the spruces, as I mentioned before, with some diseases and so forth. So we think the conifers are going to be hit pretty hard of, of not surviving some of these warmer climates and severe extreme weather events that we have, uh, droughts. It takes a few years for trees to recover from a drought, and actually, we're probably going to see this next summer some trees dying because of our past drought years that we've already experienced. And people are going to wonder why is that happening. We're hearing a lot of reports from our plant disease clinic that some of our maples that have multiple stems at the base of the tree, maybe in windbreaks or in pastures or something, a lot of those stems are dying. And they're pretty big stem trees, but mainly due to drought. It's not due to any other insect problem or, or disease problem. It's, it's due to drought conditions. So that's probably what we're going to see, too, in the future. Now, is the drought part of climate change, do you believe? You know, I think I, I don't talk about climate change as much as extreme weather events, mm-hmm. and I think sure. climate change we do have in the title here, but I think uh, extreme weather events is, is more of a catch-all title that we're really recognizing as, as most uh, individuals and most Minnesotans that we see extreme weather events like the drought or like the floods and so forth. So um, I think trying to manage your landscape for those extremes is difficult but important to consider when planting different species of trees and shrubs. You mentioned that conifers are going to be struggling a lot. Are there any tougher conifers that you can think of that might be good replacements for some of the ones we are currently using? 
Yeah, uh, we're, we actually are having a list. Uh, we're going to mention a list at the Zoom meeting then coming up next Thursday, uh, January 26th. And one of, the, one of them is eastern white pine. Uh, obviously, white pine is a, is a deer candy, so to speak. <laughs> so if you plant that in, 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 in your landscape and you have deer, you need to protect it uh, either by bud capping or by a fence or by some type of protection. The, that's one of the conifers uh, or that we really have on the list, and it's on most of the list of, of uh, northern Minnesota and even uh, statewide. Is that a native, too? It is native to Minnesota, yes. Is that part of the issue? We need to put more natives in place than some of these hybrids? Right. I think I know natives is a, is a valuable word that we use and want to use more often, but certainly there, there are other types of non-natives that can work in, in our landscapes as well. Obviously, we don't want to plant invasive or any type of plant that's on the noxious weed list, so that's a big concern. Certainly, we won't, don't want that to see happen in the future. And obviously, honeysuckles, when we planted them 50 years ago, we didn't think that they would be spread by birds, and mm. a strong seed would be prolific, uh, regerminating and, and so forth in, in, in woodland landscapes and so forth. So some of these uh, plants that we think are okay right now may not be 50 years from now, which is pretty interesting to think about. But yeah, so we want to uh, keep track of those and obviously keep in mind the trees that we really need to look at and plant natives if you can. And then obviously some acceptable type of non-natives would be certainly okay too. How about things like ginkgos? I know I, I just like the look of them and they <laughs> uh, don't have a lot of, I guess, issues with insects and other things like that. True, Karen. Uh, yes, I, I agree. Uh, ginkgo is one of my favorite trees as well. There's a nursery grower actually in Watanwan County that grows ginkgo trees, oh. which is really interesting. But yes, there's a male and female tree. I think the story of ginkgo in the Twin Cities is the female tree bears nuts that have a fleshy a fruit coating that, that is pungent to the bad, smell. Bad smelling, and, yeah. And the story is between Minneapolis and St. Paul, they've cut down 600 ginkgo trees, female basically, on the boulevards that people were complaining and so forth. But I think ginkgo is an excellent tree. Actually, you can actually uh, almost argue the fact that it might be native, because I know as, uh, fossils have been found in North Dakota and even in Minnesota of the leaf structure and the, and the plant uh, itself were found in Minnesota. So you could maybe say one time, maybe it was native to Minnesota. <laughs> I know <laughs> that they, they do sell male trees. You just got to ask yeah. and make sure. That's pretty much all they sell now. One thing I've heard is one of the best trees you can plant, and this is a, a book by Doug Tallamy, who wrote The Nature of Oaks, is the oak tree that supports the most wildlife, you know, whether it's insects or caterpillars, that sort of thing. And so is there an oak that's one of the better ones that you would recommend in this time of extreme weather? Yes. Okay, there's two, two families of oaks, the red oaks and then the, the white oaks family. So red oak family gets the oak wilt disease, which is a, is a bad disease for oaks uh, in the red oak family. So the, one of the native uh, oaks in the white oak family is bur oak. So bur oaks are recommended in southern Minnesota. Also, uh, white swamp white oak is also a recommended variety that we're, we're promoting in uh, our climate change literature. So those two oaks I think people would be happy with. And, you know, sometimes they're slow growers, but it depends on the location of many of these trees. And if they're, they're in uh, full sun and good location, and many of our soils in southern Minnesota are very nutritious and, and fertile and so forth and, and can grow some of these dubbed slower-growing trees. They can be a little, little more moderate in, in their growth habits. Now, Gary, as an 
is it called an agroforester? Is that did I say that right? Yes, yes. It, you are working now on developing new lists of trees and shrubs to recommend for people to plant. What sorts of things do you look at based on the extreme weather to consider what will be good or not good? And when does this list officially going to be coming out? Wow, the official uh, list uh, <coughs> hopefully is out this summer. Okay. Uh, we've actually taken down our recommended trees on our website that uh, Gary Johnson, our urban forester uh, at the OVM campus, has developed over the years. There has been some non-natives and that we want to pull off the list, but then there's been some invasive species that have been named uh, invasive on the list, so that's why we pulled the list from the website. But we're looking at different models, uh, climate models, and actually working with DNR and uh, other uh, land-grant universities around the Midwest here in, in trying to determine which varieties would be recommended for our list. And it's going to be a list for both uh, homeowners in Minnesota and then also woodland owners that have forest. Uh, we're going to develop a forest uh, list of tree species that would be planted within a, a woodland area or a, a tree species uh, that would be good in forest. So it's going to be a couple different lists. And actually, we're going to go by region the DNR has regions of the state, so we're actually going to list uh, varieties and species of trees and shrubs by region of the state. So it's going to be really almost very specific to your location. Really? Because, you know, we're here in southern Minnesota, as you probably know, we're mm-hmm. on the verge of a 4B zone to maybe go into a 5A zone, and there are pockets down by Fairmont who have changed zone because of the way the climate has changed. So I assume that's going to be part of that selection of trees and shrubs. Yes, you're right. And uh, it seems like our, our zones are creeping up uh, from the south and getting getting smaller numbers and so forth. But, yeah, I think, think it'll be a, g- a good thing to try and include uh, more specific areas of the state and what varieties work best. Also, too, we don't want to squelch anybody's ideas of planting something that uh, they really have their heart set on, like a like a, 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 a ginkgo tree or uh, maybe some other tree that maybe nobody has planted in your location that you can get from maybe a nursery that's local or at least uh, maybe south of you a little bit or even Iowa or something. But certainly we don't recommend you plant 100 of these different species of trees, but maybe maybe one or two to try them out uh, in your landscape. Certainly we won't, uh, don't want to squelch anybody from trying new new species of trees and shrubs. Are there going to be any that you're going to be listing and taking off the list of things to plant that have been now called invasive that might surprise people because they've been around forever and now all of a sudden you're saying, don't plant these? Right. I, I, as I mentioned before, the, the European honeysuckles will be off the list and probably amber maple might be off the list. I think that's listed now as a, a noxious uh, plant because of, of, of its pro- prolificity of preceding and seeding habits. Not that it suckers or anything like that, but uh, it does prolifically seed. Uh, so those are two that come to mind. There's certainly some others. Oh, the barberries uh, that have been planted for years around landscapes and businesses in town, those might be taken off the list uh, of recommended species as well. I've heard also the burning bush. Yes, burning bush, the uh, winged euonymus burning bush, is, uh, is, is a very prolific seeder. In fact, I have one of my own landscapes that I, I uh, cut down, but I, I noticed there's various sprigs coming up, So oh. <laughs> even in my grove. So, yeah, that's, a, that's one of those that almost like honeysuckle and, and buckthorn, that the birds will grab the seed and take them off and, and replant them for you. You mentioned barberry, and I've got a bunch of barberry. Are there some varieties that they've created that don't have the prolific seeding that are still okay? Because I noticed that nurseries still sell them, and I've heard some specific varieties are are bad. So are some okay then or not? 
You know, Karen, I think you're right. I have not, uh, I'm not a barberry specialist necessarily, but I know there's a lot of varieties, a lot of different species on the market, and that's, that's going to be hard to pull from the horticultural market and the yeah. nursery market, certainly. But I think you're right. I think the more common ones that are being sold at nurseries right now are, are less invasive and less uh, intrusive to our landscapes uh, that we have out there now. So, so be, be uh, mindful of that and maybe ask the nursery person that you're working with about those questions of, of uh, invasiveness on some of the plants that you're considering. That's why I think it's so important to go somewhere where the people, whether it's a nursery or a greenhouse, where they know about the plants. Because if you go to a big box store, they will not know anything about these products and you say well they must be okay because they're here but it isn't necessarily true correct that's right that's right and yeah do shop local if you can and then uh, shop your nurseries that uh, do have a full-time business in the nursery industry and sell trees and shrubs and they will know more more, all about your their products that they're selling what can people who come to your or this webinar next week called trees and shrubs for a changing climate expect what sorts of information can they gain from it gary you know, I think they'll learn a little bit more about the modeling that uh, Jamie's going to talk about, Jamie Mosel, our, our climate resilient extension educator. And then certainly I'll talk about some of the species that we just talked about. And actually, just to run down some of the species that we will consider, Kentucky coffee tree, hackberry, and swamp white oak for southern tree species. For northern species, we're talking about sugar maple, black cherry, and eastern white pine. And then statewide, you can still plant the Dutch elms disease-resistant elms, oaks, basswoods, and then silver maple. Well, just don't plant so many of them. Just plant one of each maybe in your yard and uh, then go from there. And then some of the shrubs we're, we're going to talk about is hazelnut, black chokeberry, which is aronia berry, and then service berries. Are we going to learn about new things we can use for hedges or windbreaks? Because that seems to be something that's pretty common around Minnesota. Right. Some of these species certainly can be used, uh, and actually most of them can be used in windbreak systems. So we're encouraging our farmers and our rural residents to to consider some of these newer plants or different plants that we might not have planted uh, in the in the past. And actually, hackberry used to be a mainstay for our windbreaks. But I think what happened in that was was when you when you buy a hackberry bare root, and it's not potted, it's bare root. You have to break bud. You have to set it in water, set the roots in water, uh, for a few days and let the buds break on the stem. Uh, otherwise, if you plant them right away, bare root from a cold storage area, then they're, they're basically going to be a dead stick. And I think that's happened for a lot of our farmers and our, a lot of rural residents over the years with, that have planted hackberries. And, and that's just one little information piece that uh, they needed to know about. And, and uh, you just need to know about if you, if you plant a hackberry that's bare root, you need to break bud, leave it in a shady area in, in water, and then make sure the buds break before you plant them. Do you work with the programs that are, I believe it's by county, where they offer trees and shrubs that are good for planting at a really reasonable cost, and sometimes they're in bundles of 25 or more, so you can yes. use them for hedges or that sort of thing? Is that still going on, and what should we watch for, and when does that happen? Yes, actually, you need to contact your county soil water conservation district, SWCDs. Uh, many counties still have a tree program. Some of them don't. But do contact your county or, or neighboring counties. Contact your first your county you live in, uh, your SWCD, Soil Water Conservation District Office, and see if they have a tree program. And that's going on right now, actually. And I think oh. their cutoff might be first uh, of February or so. You may want to check. But, yes, you can order bundles of 25 trees or more, and they're root. They're very low cost. 
for conservation plantings, but you can use them uh, for your front yard too as well. It's a very, very reduced price and not to take anything from our nurseries, but if you're planting a lot of them, then mm-hmm. that, that's probably the way to go. And certainly it helps with learning more about your SWCD, your Solwars Conservation District Office. And they can, it can help you with some decisions about what species you need to plant too in your area. Well, Gary, I want to thank you for talking with us about this important issues during climate change, what we should look for in terms of trees and shrubs and how we need to adapt. Gary Wyatt, an Extension agroforestry educator and professor with the University of Minnesota Extension in the Extension Regional Office here in Mankato. He will be one of the presenters at the webinar next week, which is on Thursday, January 26, from noon to 1 p.m. How do they connect to get that Zoom link so they can be a participant? Yes, you should look look on the Extension website, extension.umn.edu, and then there's a hyperlink under Courses, Courses Events. It's the second uh, little from the from the left, second kiosk from the left. Click on that, and then uh, type in the start date for January 26th, and you should scroll down and find out that location of where you can register trees and shrubs for a changing climate. That's Thursday, January 26th at 12 noon to 1 o'clock in the afternoon. This is Zoom. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Gary. Thank you, Karen. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.